This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to Chronicles of Nania. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am, of course, joined by the man who this show is named for. He is the resident stat nerd over at Gangrene Nation, Elite Sports New York, and TurnOnTheJets.com, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, what's going on, buddy? Uh, not too much. Obviously, this is uh, this is the most dead time of the offseason in the NFL right now. So I've been mostly focused on my Knicks. Obviously, everyone is laughing at my team right now in the NBA, but I'm really even keeled with them. I'm, I'm okay with where they're going, but... You know, definitely trying to get back in the football groove a little bit with training camp coming up in a few weeks. So uh, really excited for that to start finally because the, the this dead time here in football is kind of tough to deal with. I'm ready for the Jets to be back. Well, that's what's the perfect time to do a series like this. Last week, we started this series that we're doing about the best draft picks value-wise that the Jets have had in the 21st century we got up to number seven last week which was brian thomas was on the jets for a really long time i know in some ways he was considered a bit of a disappointment simply because the jets passed on ed reed to get him and also he didn't turn into any kind of superstar but anytime you reach a second contract and in brian thomas's case he signed a bunch of one-year deals after that so probably like 12 different contracts when it was all said and done you have to consider it a pretty solid pick so let's move on to number six this is a guy who is actually an excellent pick if you consider where he was drafted and how well he did in his first contract although he left a very sour taste in the mouths of many Jets fans and that of course is Muhammad Wilkerson so Michael before we start with Muhammad Wilkerson why don't you go ahead and refresh our memory about what earns points for these draft picks yeah so the system that I went with in order to come up with this list of the top Jets draft picks of the 21st century is a combination of a few things. One of them is approximate value, which I talked about a lot on our draft series with Mike McCagnan and John Idzik. Approximate value basically it combines performance level and longevity, so it, it's something that you definitely rack up from playing with the team for a long time, both doing that and performing at a solid level, because it does take a lot of performance into account. So approximate value is something that was taken into account. Also games played, so obviously just racking up longevity with with the Jets did uh, earn players a lot of points on this list, and Pro Bowl appearances and All-Pros extra points for getting an appearance on the Pro Bowl team or the All-Pro team. So if you were able to get those, you know, highlight seasons, which made the Pro Bowl, made the All-Pro team, that helps out a lot. So those two things, and combined with the approximate, uh, approximate value, which definitely takes into account a, a performance and a regular season games played, which definitely is gives out some score for longevity, which you definitely want to get out of your draft picks. So, Molly Wilkerson is the number seven player on this list out of the top 11 Jets draft picks of the 21st century, and he did give the Jets seven years, which is pretty solid. He was there from 2011 to 2017, so he did give them some pretty decent longevity. You know, even for a first-round pick to last into that second contract, like you said with Brian Thomas, even though Mohamed Wilkerson dis- uh, did disappoint after he signed that second contract, he did give them some really good peak years. He made the one Pro Bowl appearance. Uh, he gave them 71 approximate value, which is the fifth most among all Jets draft picks since 2000, and he did give them 105 regular season games played, which is tied for the eighth most of any Jets draft pick in this century. So with, with Mohamed Wilkerson, even though he his... His career was kind of cut short with the Jets. You know, he had the leg injury, and then he came back, wasn't the same player, and he didn't seem as motivated after after the contract. But what he did give the Jets at his peak was some of the best individual play that they've gotten from really not just players that they've drafted, but any player that they've had 
in recent memory. Even in the history of their franchise, he gave them some really good peak years. He's six on the Jets' all-time sack list with 44 and a half sacks, and his 12 sack season in 2015 ranks as the seventh best single season total in team history, while his 10 and a half sacks in 2013 is tied for the ninth best total. And he's also sixth in team history in fourth uh, fumbles with 11. And, you know, once he got to play Sheldon Richardson, those two guys together gave the Jets one of the best defensive lines in the league. So Wilkerson started to produce at a dominant level once he got to play with Richardson. And from 2013 to 2015, Wilkerson had 28 and a half sacks. That was 12th most in the league. He had 67 quarterback hits over that span, which was sixth most in the league over that span. And among 300-plus pound players over that span, Wilkerson was second in sacks and first and quarterback hit. So what he was giving the Jets at his peak was really, really good, and they haven't gotten that kind of play from that many players over their history. So even though it did kind of have a sour end, like you said, Wilkerson did give the Jets some dominant play. And for the 30th overall pick, you could say what you want to about what happened after he re-signed, but those first five years of the contract, he gave them way above what you could reasonably expect. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you talk about picking guy number 30 overall, of course, in 2011, after the Jets went to the AFC Championship game, he's a borderline high second-round pick, so the expectations aren't the same as any other first-round pick. So definitely exceeded expectations came. And onto a stacked Jets defense, too. The Jets obviously were coming off of those two AFC title games in which their defense was arguably the best in the league. So there was a lot of competition there, but he came right in, earned his spot, and had some dominant years once he got into his prime. And that 12-sack season, which is the one that everybody remembers, it was the most dominant one that he had in 2015, the year that the Jets had a winning record for the final time up until now. Hopefully they change things in 2019. That was one of the best seasons that any Jet defensive lineman has ever had. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, like I mentioned, Wilkerson does own two of the top 10 sack seasons in Jets history with that 12-sack 12 uh, 12 year in 2015 and the 10.5 sacks in 2013. Those are two of the top 10 sack totals in Jets history. And also, since tackles for loss were first tracked in 1999, Wilkerson is second in the category among Jets defensive players over that span. With 71 of those, only Sean Ellis has him beat, who obviously played with the Jets for a lot longer than Wilkerson did. So, you know, he did have some really good peak years. Obviously, 2015 was the core of that, in which he made that Pro Bowl appearance, helped the Jets win 10 games. Hopefully, they can, you know, have a winning season uh, this year and break the streak of losing seasons they've had since then. But the last time the Jets were uh, a winning team in the playoff conversation, Wilkerson was arguably the best player on the team, maybe uh, best player of the defense. Brandon Marshall is pretty great that year, but Wilkerson was one of their best players and a driving force behind that 10-6 and six season. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com.
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. The stats you laid out, Michael, are really interesting in that, as you said, his pairing with Sheldon Richardson produced excellent results for both men. And then when the two of them were sort of broken up because Sheldon had his position changed and messed around, and then you had Leonard Williams come in, it seems like both guys started to go south a little bit. It makes you wonder if maybe the Jets outsmarted themselves. I know we've all talked about how Leonard Williams was definitely the right pick, but maybe they should have traded Sheldon earlier than they did, or maybe they should have done something different in terms of the way they schemed those guys. But it just seems like once the Richardson-Wilkerson dynamic was tampered with in some way, neither guy was really ever the same. Oh, yeah, and you also had to make up the sons of anarchy, as they were called. Damon Harrison was Mm -hmm. in there as well, so... Those three guys together were just a really good tandem. I mean, that's arguably the best defensive line in the league, and that was a, maybe the primary reason the Jets went 10-6 and six that season and had one of the best defenses in the league. So it, they were definitely a really good complement. You had Snacks on the inside who would play on running downs and stuff the run better than anyone else could in the league, and he's still doing that for the Lions and the Giants since he left. But then you had Wilkerson and Richardson who you could play on either side. They could rush the pass or they could stop the run. Very interchangeable guys who can play three tech, five tech, anywhere in between. So they they just complemented each other really well. So, you know, maybe messing with that did mess up, you know, just how they connected with each other, how they played with one another. But, you know, maybe it was the injury that, you know, affected Wilkerson and maybe just athletically he wasn't the same player, or maybe it was the contract that just, you know, killed his motivation and took away the drive that he once had. So, you know, any of those things could have, you know, been the reason, but it, it could also just be a combination of all those things. Maybe Wilkerson is the kind of guy, and, you know, it's surprising because uh, when the Jets gave Wilkerson that deal, like, everyone was perfectly okay with that. He was a model, you know, model citizen for them, good guy off the field, hometown guy who they drafted. But, you know, after the contract, maybe he is just the kind of guy who, would mail it in after he got the money, or maybe it really was just the injury and he wasn't the same player from an athletic standpoint. But, you know, either way, the Jets, you know, you're happy with what you got out of him on his initial rookie deal. What happened afterward wasn't what you would hope, but ultimately, when, when you can get what Wilkerson gave you out of 30, out of any draft pick, really, uh, you know, beyond the top of the draft, unless, you know, you're maybe drafting a franchise quarterback. But, you know, at the spot they got him with the expectations he came in with, the defense that he was competing to be a part of, he definitely exceeded expectations and gave them some solid production over the course of his rookie deal. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Last thing on Wilkerson, Michael, before we move along, I saw this and I just had to ask you about it. I cannot believe how many passes defense this guy had for a defensive lineman. Oh, yeah, he was definitely, and it, it's crazy that he is, like, 
near the top of the Jets. Some of the, he's near the top of some of the Jets' all times uh, all time defensive list with his passes. He had twenty nine passes defended in his career for the Jets, which is a pretty great number. So you're talking about he played seven seasons with them. That's about four per year, which is pretty good. So and you know he's definitely really good at getting his hands on those footballs. He is one of the best pass swatting defensive linemen in the league. That that's why he was. It's funny you say that because the guy who's most known for swatting passes on the defensive line is obviously J.J. Watt, or J.J. Swat, as they call him. So, Mohamed Wilkerson and J.J. Watt, like, we were mentioning those two guys in the same sentence at that point in 2015. So, yeah, definitely the pass defending was part of that, but just the overall dominance that Wilkerson had as a pass rusher kind of put him in that conversation with Watt. But, you know, the pass deflecting is definitely something that Wilkerson did bring to the table. Worth noting that Muhammad Wilkerson on your chart had a combined 148.5 points, which is a decent distance away from the next guy on this countdown at number five, David Harris. Now, if you remember back to the 2007 draft, the Jets made two draft picks, Darrell Revis and David Harris. Both players were traded up for. The Jets didn't have very many picks beyond that. I think that's okay based on the results that we saw from both guys. And we're going to talk about Mr. Revis a little bit later on in this countdown. Spoiler alert, although I'm sure you had that figured out. So let's talk about David Harris, Michael. His overall score was 174, which is really high. 97 approximate value, which is first among all Jets draft picks since 2000. And he had 154 regular season games played which is outstanding, especially for somebody who plays such a physical position like him. So give me a little bit of an overview of what you found when you studied David Harris in terms of this draft value chart. Yeah, so like you mentioned, a pretty big gap between Wilkerson at number seven and Harris at number six, about 26 points between them. And the biggest reason that Harris is this high on the list is his approximate value. He played, you know, like you mentioned, he played 154 regular season games for them, which is the fifth most among all Jets draft picks in the 21st century, but his approximate value is a few ranks higher at 97 because he was so productive and so consistent over that span. But the thing that does keep Harris back from the top five of this, of this list is that he doesn't have any Pro Bowl or All-Pro appearances now. Obviously, it, it's debatable as to whether he at some point should have had at least one Pro Bowl, at least one All-Pro appearance, but he didn't have one, so that knocks him down a little bit. But we can still appreciate what Harris brought to the table, and the approximate value really demonstrates what he brought to the table for this team, playing for them so long, being so productive, being a part of so many really good defenses, right in the middle of them, playing that inside linebacker position. He definitely gave them a lot of value after being taken 47th overall in the second round of the 2007 draft, so he gave them a lot of production over the course of his career. He was, you know, never, and I think even though you can kind of look at it and say that, you know, a guy who's played this long didn't have any Pro Bowl appearances, he should have made one. I think it does kind of fit the player he was that he didn't make a Pro Bowl or an All-Pro team because he was never really, like, a dominant player. I don't think he was ever, like, like what C.J. Mosley is coming into the Jets, a guy who you'd consider as, like, a dominant force. I don't think he was ever that, but what he was was consistently really good. So, you know, he never had, like, those extremely dominant seasons, but what he did bring to the table was that, you know, professionalism he was known for, just that no-nonsense mentality, just consistent durability. He's a very durable player for a long time, and just consistently being really good, stuffing the run, playing his assignments well, leading the defense. So, you know, he's just a guy who really came to work throughout the entirety of his Jets career from from a decade, from 2007 up to 2016. 
Then he turned to the dark side and joined the Patriots. But, <laughs> you know, until then, he did. Give the, he was a true New York Jet until he did that. So, for a decade, he was as good of a second-round pick as, as any team can pretty much hope for and way better than any other second-round pick the Jets have gotten recently. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It's kind of crazy, Michael, how valuable he was compared to other draft picks in Jets history. You have him ranked at number seven overall in Jets history in terms of approximate value. For a guy that was picked in the second round, for a team that's been around for as long as the Jets have, that's very impressive. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, with an approximate value score of 97, Harris is ranked seventh in team history an approximate value. So that's not just draft picks. It's any player in team history to play for the team. So just the consistency that he brought to the table, playing with them for such a long time, and definitely puts him up there with some of the best Jets ever. And uh, we do give Harris a lot of, you know, in terms of where we're ranking him all time, we're giving him score in our minds just for what he was off the field, the leader that he was, the professional that he was, the great teams that he was a part of. But even on the field, just the value that he brought to them, being a part of so many good teams and, just the consistency that he brought at that position puts him up there with some of the best players to ever contribute for the Jets. I didn't realize this, Michael, but according to your research, he's almost top 50 of all time in total tackles. Yeah, he's 52nd on the NFL's all-time total tackles list. And you, you look at what he did over his career with the Jets, and just, you know, we're talking, we talk so much about his consistency and just how he's a high-level player for a long time, but look at what he's able to do over his Jets career. He's with some really good names. So from, 2000, from 2007 to 2016, so over his Jets career, he's one of only five players in the league to tally over 1,000 tackles, ranking fifth in the league over that span with 1,087 of those. And Harris and Lawrence Timmons were the only players over that span to have over 900 tackles and 60 quarterback hits, while Harris and Carlos Dansby were the only players to have over 1,000 tackles and 25 sacks. So just the longevity, was, it's really rare to see any player have the kind of longevity at any position, regardless of draft position, to, to have the kind of longevity that he had, and he did it while being a really good player. That's a lot of quarterback hits for an inside linebacker, isn't it? Oh yeah, he is definitely, his pass rushing production was pretty good for that position, and like you look at a guy like C.J. Mosley, great all-around player, but the, the pass rushing production isn't something he really brings to the table, he's only gotten about one sack per season. He's been a really good quarterback hit guy, C.J. Mosley has, so his pressures have been really good, but the sacks haven't really been there. So that, that is, with this position, something that be circumstantial. You know, how often do uh, their defensive coordinators like to blitz them? What kind of defense are they playing in? Are they picking up three sacks when quarterbacks just scramble? So it is circumstantial with things like that, but Harris definitely did, and it just is a testament to his all-around game. He was a pretty good blitzer. For the Jets, and obviously playing with Rex Ryan for a while, he did get some opportunities with him, but definitely some good pass rushing production for the position. 
And as good as his career stats are in the regular season, 1,109 tackles, 55 tackles for a loss, 69 quarterback hits, 36 and a half sacks, 32 passes defense, 10 forced fumbles, 6 interceptions, 4 fumbles recovered. His numbers in the playoffs are staggeringly good, and it's funny because I don't remember ever thinking of David Harris as some sort of clutch playoff player, but he's got some impressive numbers for a guy who only played six playoff games. Yeah, he definitely showed up some of those splash plays in the playoffs. So he only played six playoff games with the Jets, but in those he did have two sacks, two passes defended, an interception, and uh, had another quarterback knockdown as well, and 45 tackles in those games, so an average of about over seven of those per game. So pretty decent playoff numbers. He did show up in those playoff games and contribute to the Jets actually being a pretty good playoff team You know, during the time he was with the team. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. From David Harris, who was the workmanlike backbone of the Jets' defense for about a decade, we go to somebody who stuck around a little less time, was injured quite a bit more, but boy, oh boy, was he a superstar, and when he was healthy, he was an absolute monster, somebody that struck fear into the hearts of opposing quarterbacks. One could very easily argue that he's the last guy the Jets have had that really did that, and that, of course, is John Abraham. He clocks in here with a staggeringly high 208.5 points on your chart, 48 in approximate value, which is 11th among all Jets draft picks since the year 2000, 73 regular season games played, which is in the top 25, three Pro Bowl appearances, one first-team All-Pro appearance, and like I said, the last time the Jets had a true all-world pass rusher. So give me a little bit of an overview of what you found when you looked at John Abraham. Yeah, so Abraham does come in in the top five here with a pretty good cushion over David Harris at number six. And, you know, like you mentioned, his regular season games played. He only played 73 with the Jets uh, from 2000 to 2005. So that only places him 24th among Jets draft picks this century. And his approximate value is all the way up at 11th. So I think that difference really demonstrates, you know, how good he was while he's with the Jets. And the big reason that he's in the top five is he had those three Pro Bowl appearances and that one first team all pro appearance, so he gets a lot of points from those, and it's that you know peak dominance that puts him in the top five here, even though his longevity wasn't that good. And if, if, it, it seems like that it's been forever, at least a decade, that we've been talking about the Jets' edge rushers. And when you discuss them, you say, oh, the Jets haven't had a pass rusher since John Abraham. Every single year, that's the exact statement that we make. Maybe Ja'Kai Polite changes that, hopefully. But John Abraham is definitely the last truly dominant pass rusher that the Jets have had. He's third in Jets history in sacks with 53 and a half, even though he only played 73 games for them. And he's the team's all-time leader in sacks per game with about .73 of those per game, which puts you on pace for about 12 over 16-game season. So he'd be second in team history in sacks per game behind Mark Gastineau if we only counted the games Gastineau played after sacks were tracked. So obviously Mark Gastineau is just one of the most iconic players, most respected players in Jets history, and Abraham is right up there with him in terms of sack dominance. So John Abraham definitely with the dominance he had as a pass rusher. is The Jets haven't had anything like that on the edge since he played for them. So even though his career with the Jets was short, he did you know, give them some really great production while he was there, some of the best top-end production that they've had in the history of this team, and especially at the pass rushing position, you know, on the edge, just in terms of overall pass rushing production at any position. So he didn't get that longevity, but being able to produce at his peak as much as he did 
still makes him one of the better picks of the century for the Jets. I think the fact that his value on your chart was so much higher than David Harris's, despite the fact that he played half as many games as Harris, and the fact that Harris was really, really good to begin with. So it's not like we're talking about a guy that was around for 10 years and was a solid but nothing special player. We're talking about David Harris, who's one day going to be in the ring of honor. That right there should show you just how good and how dominant John Abraham was when he was on the field for the Jets. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of other ways you can see his dominance, too. He's second in team history in forced fumbles with 19 of those. And he's all-time leader in forced fumbles per game with about... 0.26 of those per game, which would be pace for about four per season, which is a really strong number to get four forced fumbles in a season. He had two seasons with six forced fumbles doing that in both 2001 and 2005, and those two campaigns, which he had six forced fumbles, are tied for the highest single season forced, tumble, uh, forced fumble totals in Jets history. And back in 2001, and just playing to the dominance that he's had in the company that he's in, Abraham had a four-sack game against Aaron Brooks and the Saints in a Jets win at the Superdome. And that is the most recent four-sack game by a Jet way back in 2001. And it's one of only three such performances in team history. And the only other guy responsible for those other two four-sack games is, of course, Mark Gastineau. So the sack dominance that Abraham had is just in the company of one of the best players in Jets history and Mark Gastineau. And the thing is, even though Abraham had a short Jets career, he still provided value for them a long time after he left. Because in 2006... The Falcons traded down early in the draft. They sent their first-round pick to the Broncos for their first-round pick, which was the 29th overall and a pair of later selections. And the Falcons would then send that 29th pick to the Jets in exchange for John Abraham, and that 29th pick was used to select Nick Mangold. So the Jets still got a lot of food out of John Abraham after he left with Nick Mangold. So I, I think it's definitely fitting that. You know, John Abraham was so dominant for them early in his career. And then even though the Jets did move on from him, they got a guy who was equally dominant at a much different position, you know, through the trade. So he definitely was dominant for them. And even when he left, he still gave them a lot more. Also shows you how one really good draft can completely change the fortunes of a team and help set them on the right path because the 2000 draft, when the Jets had four first-round picks and then had a high third-round pick, they were able to convert three of those into players that are on this list. Those, of course, Sean Ellis, John Abraham, and Lavernius Coles. We talked about Nick Mangold, who the Jets were able to use Abraham to grab later on when they flipped him to the Falcons for the 29th overall pick in the 2006 draft. So a lot of mileage out of that draft when you think about it. And again, that's the type of draft that can help set your franchise up. Because when you look at the 11 best draft picks of the century for a team, and three of them come from the same draft, tells you all you really need to know, right? Yeah, definitely. If you can get a lot of value one draft, that could be the core to set your team up for a long time. The Eagles had a draft like that a few years ago. I forget the exact year, but they got a lot of core players in one draft. And then even after that draft, they had some non-playoff seasons. They had some disappointing seasons. But when the Eagles won in 2017, a couple of years ago, it was a lot of the players that were the core of that team were all picked in that same draft class a few years before. Fletcher Cox, I think Jason Peters, a few different guys who are a part of that Super Bowl team, are all from the same draft class a few years ago. So when you can do that, knock one draft class out of the park, it can set your team up for success a long time down the line. And obviously, as we've seen with this franchise, when you have the opposite and you have one really bad draft class, that can set your team back for a while. So 
you, you do like to have consistent value, but when you can get it in bunches, it, it definitely does have a lot. I think it does have more value if you can get a lot of, if you can hit on a lot of picks in one draft, because those guys can grow together. You have a set timeline. You understand how you're trying to build. And those, when you get a lot of value in one draft, it could set your team up for a really long time. And we definitely saw that with some of the picks the Jets made back in the early 2000s. Should note that a lot of Jets fans were upset with John Abraham and labeled him soft because he missed that playoff game because he had the flu and he was throwing up. And the Jets' defense obviously desperately needed him. And while I'm not going to pass judgment on what happened with that because only John Abraham can know how incapacitated he was, you could see why the team and the fans would have been frustrated that he couldn't play because even though he only played three playoff games, he made a big impact in those, including two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and one pass defense. So like we said, even though he wasn't here for that long and even though he didn't play that many games in the playoffs, when he was in the playoffs and when he wasn't in the regular season, Boy, oh boy, was he an X factor! Yeah, for sure, and that's that's he's exactly what you want to get out of you know any first round pick in any position. He was the thirteenth overall pick back in two thousand, so that kind of uh, peak production is exactly what you're hoping for out of a first round pick. You know, maybe later in the draft, sometimes you strike gold and you find those kind of dominant players later in the draft. But in the first round, that's where you're hoping to get your superstar players, your cornerstones, and he was that kind of level player the Jets, and obviously in spirit, he would have gone with them through, McMa- uh, through McMangled, but you know, he's definitely what the Jets have been lacking at in their pass rush for such a long time. Hopefully, Ja'Kai Polite can end that, we'll see, but you know, he's definitely what, he's a key to a great defense, having a pass rusher like that. That's why the Bears went out and traded so much for Khalil Mack last year, and he made such a difference for them, so you know, hopefully the Jets can find a guy like John Abraham soon enough. Like I said, hopefully it's Ja'Kai Polite. Jordan Jenkins has made some pass rushing strides. Uh, he did uh, this past season, 2018. But you know, John Abraham is de- uh, John Abraham is definitely the model that you hope to get out of your first round picks, and just in terms of your pass rush, exactly what you want to get in an elite pass rusher. No question about it. If Ja'Kai Polite can be anywhere near as good as John Abraham was when he was here, I think every Jets fan would do a backflip, or at least they would if they could. I'm sure there are plenty of Jets fans that physically are incapable of doing a backflip. <laughs> I would be one of those Jets fans that could not do a backflip. But if I could, I certainly would. I'll just do a very aggressive fist pump. I don't think many <laughs> of us can do the backflip, but how about, how about a double fist pump? I like it. A double fist pump works if Ja'Kai Polite is anywhere near as good as John Abraham was. Michael, that'll wrap up part two of this discussion on your article on the 11 best draft picks of the century for the New York Jets. Really looking forward to part three next week. You know how I am. I'm a history nerd, so I love talking about this stuff. And we will resume with number four on the list next week. Until then, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can read your work, where they can find you. I know there's a million different places. You're writing about football. You're writing about basketball. Pretty sure you're writing about cricket, too. Why don't you go ahead and let everybody know how they can check out your work. Yeah, so if, if you're looking for cricket writing, I'm probably not the guy you want to look for. So, uh, but if you're looking for some Jets writing, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. My writing is mostly at gangrenation.com and elitesportsnewyork.com. So, yeah, definitely looking forward for training camp in the upcoming weeks and uh, this series as well, looking at the top four draft picks of the 21st century for the Jets. Some really great Jets in, on this list, some guys that gave the Jets a lot of great moments, so excited to talk about them. And also Sam Darnold, I've been going back through his games last year and charting his production based on 
a bunch of different factors, looking at his production by root type, by number of pass rushers he was facing, by left side versus right side, throw depth, his improvised production drops. So many interesting things to break. A lot of different ways to look at his production and just kind of take a look at how he uh, moved throughout the season, the highs and lows, what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were. So that's been a lot of fun, and I've been writing about that on Gangry Nation. You could find the Sam Darnold production by Root Type series on Gangry Nation if you want to see what I've done with that so far. I'm up through the Houston Texans game, so two games left with that. But I'm really excited to come on here and talk about that in the coming weeks. So lots of great stuff coming up. Obviously, this is the dead time of the offseason, but we're almost out of it. We're almost out of it. We're going to have some great Darnold content coming up because Joe Blewett did a whole film study on Sam Darnold's rookie year, and then, Michael, you broke down the statistics of Sam Darnold's rookie season. So between those two, we're going to have so much great content between that and then training camp coming up in our daily reports. This is the place to be for all Jets content. You don't want to miss any of it. Make sure that you're subscribed if you haven't already. Please go ahead and leave us a five-star review over on iTunes. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it helps a lot. So if you could do it, we'd really appreciate it. Follow Michael on Twitter. Read his work over at Gang Green Nation and Elite Sports New York. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.